we can begin the witty banter now, Mark. Good, thank you, because yeah. I, I saved my witty banter for this. This is Interman Radio. Honest questions, biblical answers, and proof that anyone with a mic can have their own podcast. Yeah, let's get this going. So uh, we're smack dab in the middle of our tackling often asked questions that people ask about the existence of God and whether or not the Bible can be trusted. So far, uh, Mark, we've addressed some topics brilliantly. Quite brilliantly. First off, we've tackled whether or not there is a God. And if there is, why does he allow pain and suffering? Secondly, we tried, well, can God and evil coexist? Does one exclude the other? Our third installment dealt with, can a rational case for God be made that doesn't put you to sleep? One that's not boring. And I think we accomplished that marvelously. Yeah, absolutely. Marvelously. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, it would be good to uh, go back and listen to those that you'll be prepped and ready for what we're about to jump into today. Yeah, those were pretty lofty goals trying to tackle those topics in 30 minutes or less. Uh, but but I, yeah, you know, by comparison you know. with what we're tackling today, <laughs> nothing, small yeah. potatoes. This is a feat <laughs> akin to North Korea's President Kim Jong-un hitting a hole-in-one on every golf swing. That's amazing. Well, his media reports that he did. <laughs> I mean, according to uh, North Korean press, that's exactly what he did. The only and, thing more incredible than that would be a Star Wars movie without any holes in the oh, plot. <laughs> that's impossible. So in this episode, we're going to make the case that three elements are working together. Well, that sounds really engaging, doesn't three it? Phenomena three phenomena are working together. together. Yeah. In a weird way to shape what most Christians and atheists believe. Right. Uh, whether you're a Christian, an atheist, or anywhere in between, most people have formed their opinions about God with the helpful influence of of fake faith, junk science, and authoritative pressure or authoritative pressure. We're going to we're going to nickname that bad referees. Okay? Fake faith, junk science and bad referees all working together and it's going to be quite a challenge, but to help help us kick things off, well, we've asked for some sage, pithy wisdom from Uncle Fillmore uh, to <laughs> to help us summarize summarize. Good, cuz this could be heavy. Hi there. This is Uncle Fillmore. The fellas at Interman Radio asked for my insight on how fake faith, junk science, and bad referees work together to shape opinions about God. Well, that's nearly impossible to do, and well, I couldn't guarantee a good outcome. Hey, speaking of bad outcomes, there were three men who walked into a bar and started a heated conversation. A scientist, a Christian, and a lawyer. Well, the scientists claimed that everything came from nothing, and if you think too hard about it, well, you're just not a true scientist. And the Christian claimed everything came from God, and if you think too hard about it, well, you're just not a true Christian. Mark, stop laughing. I'm supposed to be sitting on my front porch in a rocking chair. Both argued in circles, accusing one another of being morons, and the lawyer, seeing an opportunity, got them to sue each other, carefully picking to represent the side that had the deepest pockets. Well, now he claims that everything he's done from sunup to sundown for the last five years is billable time. And if anyone thinks too hard about it, well, he'll sue. <laughs> Stop laughing in the background, Mark. Well, that's all I've got for now. Sorry I couldn't be more help, but in the future, if you need my input, well, just let me know. Wow, thank you, Uncle Fillmore. I'm, I'm wow. going to have to chew on that for a little bit and kind of, kind of allow that to, to sink in. I'm, yeah, sure there's, there's, I'm sure there's some, something profound 
hidden underneath that. Hidden, hidden yeah. deep, deep, <laughs> really deep. Just pull deep. back the layers. Really deep. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, thank you for that, Uncle Fillmore. And uh, it was a little bit awkward. You know, he was reading that from his front porch in his rocking chair, but... It was almost like he was right here. Almost, almost <laughs> as if. You know, we're going to play a montage here from uh, people that are respected in the secular world. We're going to hit it. Richard Dawkins, you've talked a lot in terms uh, of religion being a pernicious virus. When you talk in those sorts of emotional, quite visceral terms, are you doing that to sort of raise hackles and therefore heighten the debate, do you think? I don't think I've talked a lot about it being pernicious. I'm not even sure I ever used the word pernicious. But virus is certainly, a word you've definitely, definitely virus. Uh, and the point there is really not the pernicious aspect, although I actually think it is pernicious. The point there is that it's infectious. It's something that grips the mind uh, in the same way as a virus, a conventional virus, grips the body, in that it takes control and it does so the better to propagate itself. Denial of evolution is unique to the United States. I mean, we are the world's most advanced, but generally the United States is where most of the innovation still happens. People still move to the United States. Uh, and that's largely because of the intellectual capital we have, the, the general understanding of science. When you have a portion of the population that doesn't believe in that, it holds everybody back, really. Evolution is the fundamental idea in all of life science, in all of biology. It's like, it's very much analogous to trying to do geology without believing in tectonic plates. You're just not going to get the right answer. Your whole world is just going to be a mystery instead of an exciting place. As my old professor Carl Sagan said, when you're in love you want to tell the world. So once in a while I get people that really, or that claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, why not? Really, why not? Your world just becomes fantastically complicated when you don't believe in evolution. I mean, you, here are these ancient dinosaur bones or fossils. Here is uh, radioactivity. Here are distant stars that are just like the, our star, but that are at a different point in their life cycle. The idea of deep time of this of billions of years uh, explains so much of the world around us. If you try to ignore that, your, your worldview just becomes crazy. It's just uh, untenable, itself inconsistent. And I say to the grown-ups, if you want to deny evolution and live in your, in your uh, world that's completely inconsistent with everything we observe in the universe, that's fine. But don't make your kids do it, because we need them. We need scientifically literate voters and taxpayers for the future. We need people that can, uh, we need engineers that can build stuff, solve problems. These are, it's just really a hard thing. It's, it's really a hard thing. You know, in another couple centuries, that, that worldview, I'm sure, will be, it just won't exist. So I'm here with Richard Dawkins, who really needs no introduction at all. He's the author, of course, of The Selfish Gene, which is voted the Royal Society's most inspiring book, science book of all time, and also of The Blind Watchmaker, and of course, The God Delusion. You've written another book about God. Yes, the uh, outgrowing God, um, which is um, sort of for young people. Um, Why what, did you feel that young people up to the age of 99 needed yet more Richard Dawkins material on those two topics? 
I've always felt rather passionate about breaking the cycle of generations as each generation passes on its superstitions to the next one, while at the same time being very keen not to indoctrinate, because that's what, of course, we criticise the religious people for doing. I want to encourage people to think for themselves. If you actually ask people why they believe in the particular religion that they do, it's almost always because that's how they were brought up. So in my experience with children of that age, I have two teenage, teenage sons, they are already really rather uninterested in religion and I don't think need persuading of the reality of something like evolution. You, do you see it Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad to, to hear that. Uh, that cannot be true all over the world, however, uh, certainly not true in America, um, where unfortunately um, religion has a real hold and um, anti-evolution has a real hold. Yeah, so Mark, why are these well-respected popular people so hostile to the idea of God and especially Christianity? Well, what they tell us is that they see Christianity as not taking into account all of the facts. They're not really being intellectually honest. So we could call that a blind faith. In other words, you know, they see Christians as being really dangerously irrational. They're, they're yeah. not, not taking into account the whole picture. Yeah, uh, why would they think that? I mean, really, w w come on. What in the world would ever give them that well, idea? Well, we have just the thing to explain why. Listen to this. I was wondering if you could share with our viewers how this all began for you, because you have numerous, I mean, every single day you have your raptures into that realm. So, but how did it start? It, it actually kind of starts with the generations before me. My grandmother was, um, had a seer anointing. She gave her life in the jungles of Panama as a missionary. She had a real intimate relationship with Jesus, had seen him many times, had divine encounters. My father, the same thing. He really loved people, wow. loved God, and angels would appear in his car, give him assignments from God. He was a very simple person, but he always obeyed God and loved people. And I chose to walk on the same foundation. You can choose that. Yeah. And so my encounter started very early in my life. How had, old were um, you when you had your first encounter? The very first one, well, when I was even really young girl, I knew when people were lying. I knew right. if things were lost. I would see where they were in the spirit and then wow. find them for people. So this was like, I really can't remember. I've known the Lord from the age of four. Wow. And so that's been my whole life. And so I was raised in, in the reality of a supernatural realm it's in just heaven. normal for you. It was you normal didn't know for me. Anything else. And I would only sleep four hours a night, so I had a lot of free time to spend time with him, and I did. And when I was 14, I had my first divine encounter. I was helping to raise 12 of my siblings, wow. which was not an easy job, so didn't always have time for fun. Right. And I remember one time I was walking with the Lord, just talking to him with my life ever be different from this? Will I ever be able to do anything else? And he gave me an open vision of myself grown, and I had the world on my shoulders. Wow. And I remember him laughing out loud, and I went, am I gonna have to take care of the whole world? Our current culture has a high value for the security we feel when we are able to prove that what we have devoted our life to is right. In order to assert our faith, we assume that we must be able to argue a case for a logical conclusion. But the fact is that our need for so much certainty comes from great uncertainty. When heaven stops manifesting itself in the church, Christians have to prove somehow that they are reasonable for following Jesus. When the power of the gospel is replaced by arguments, everyone should be concerned. When cancer, paralysis, tumors, and mental illness have people's bodies and minds, we do not require an argument. 
a person experiencing the touch of heaven is proof enough that Jesus is who he says he is. Danny Silk, the culture of honor. Yeah, so these are great examples, what we just heard. Yeah, which uh, is <laughs> junk faith. Yeah, <laughs> junk faith, exactly. Junk faith puts reason and logic aside, uh, and it relies on... Uh, it relies on really, if you're just to boil it down, it really relies on, on circular reasoning. And oftentimes that circular reasoning, uh, well, it can be just a feeling. But for an example, I believe in God. Why? Well, because the Bible says so. Why does what the Bible say have to be true? Well, because God wrote the Bible. How do you know? Because the Bible says he did, and it's true. Why? Well, because God wrote it. Uh, how do you know God wrote it? Because the Bible says so. Wait a minute. Yeah. We've been down this trail before. Something's up here. Exactly. So circular reasoning. And uh, many Christians, that really is the level of their conviction of why they believe what they believe. You could. Here's another one, though. Here's another path that might be more applicable to today. Uh, I believe in God. Why? Because I've experienced God's presence in my life. And how do you know that's God? Well, because he told me it was. How do you know it was him? Because I experienced it myself. So it's no wonder then that Dawkins says, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is the belief in spite of, even perhaps because of, the lack of evidence. When it, when it comes to junk faith, I can't believe we're saying this, but we actually agree with Richard Dawkins yeah, here. That is a stinging rebuke, but it's appropriate. Many stuck in that position, Mark. I mean, they would say that if you take this approach to believing in God, you just aren't operating by faith. I mean, you're trying to logically reason through this. You need to take your brain out, put it on the shelf, and stop thinking so much about it. We actually went to a, a faith healing seminar where we were told this, by you the way. You went to a faith healing seminar? Yeah. Should I? Were you healed? Let's take a little rabbit trail <laughs> for just a second here. <laughs> this is too good to not jump into. So... Uh, you got to look this gal up. Her name is Kat Kerr, Kerr. with K's. Cat, like <laughs> Kit Kat, like the candy bar. Okay, Kat Kerr. So Kat Kerr rolls into town with her prophecy uh, posse. And um, you know, <laughs> Kat, Kat Kerr, has, uh, she claims to have been to heaven. And, wow. uh, and she has revelation directly from God. And she's going to tell you what it's all about and what it's like. So people were, were going to, uh, there's uh, some buildings in downtown Spokane that are, have been dubbed the healing rooms because of uh, John G. Lake. Uh, there's some history there back in Spokane way back in the day. But anyway, so these rooms apparently have, mag uh, ma did I say magical? Uh, Holy Spirit power in them. And... Uh, <laughs> And so prof prophets come in, they're invited by this ministry to come in and prophesy and do healing and all that. Well, anyway, mm. so the bottom line is we're sitting there and, and a couple of our, our daughters and uh, we're, we're getting ready to, we had been invited. So uh -huh. I thought this might uh -huh. be a learning opportunity for everybody. Mm, yes. And we're sitting there and, and uh, Kat's uh, up in front of the audience here and, and she tells us just right before she gets into the prophetic word, that she received from the Lord, oh boy. And, and I'm using air quotes here, right? Here it comes. So uh, she tells us, she says, "I want you all to take your, take your hand, take your and hand, put it above your head, and okay. I've got my hand above my head here. Take, all right. take your thinking cap off, take thinking your cap. brain out, and put it on <laughs> the <out>. shelf." <laughs> she said that literally. Wow. And, and the idea there was <laughs> is that if you are thinking 
in trying to logically reason through what she was about to say, you were not of faith and you were going to miss God's word. It was a very informative uh, evening. Apparently, I, I yeah. must say, I, it was re, it it was revelatory. You, you might have been healed of something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was cured of something. I can tell you that. Yeah. There is this notion out there that it might not be quite as blatant or in your face, but there's this thought that if you're trying to reason to a conclusion that God exists, you're missing out really on on what Christianity is all about, and that's faith. Yeah, it's like it's like you're trying to substitute, uh, you know, real faith with reason, and those two things should not be put at odds with one another. Chris and Dumb will make that division, and they'll say that, you know, anything that has to do with the mind or anything that has to do with reason is the realm of science. Anything that has to do with belief in the absence of evidence is the realm of faith, and that's not an accurate picture. We've talked about that before, but the danger comes when they start to limit the questions that they're going to accept. For example, like let's like uh, the distant starlight question is sure. one that often gets thrown in the face of young Earth creation proponents, and the idea is that if our universe is roughly a hundred billion light years in diameter. Uh-huh. Um, how is it that if light is going to take, let's say you're at the center, light is going to take in rough figures about 48 billion light years to reach you from the outermost edge of what we can see in the universe. Well, how does light get here in under 10,000 years, if you're a young earth creationist, if the distance is nearly 50 billion light years away? Yeah, don't know, don't care. Bible says it didn't happen that way. <laughs> right. Now, I have nothing against somebody who says, I don't know. <clears throat> I have nothing against someone who says, I still believe the Bible to be true, even though I don't understand this other thing. But where I do take exception is where somebody says, well, I'm just not going to consider that. Yeah. I'm just going to discount that evidence. I'm not going to allow that into my decision-making process. There's a lot of things we don't know. And that's the yeah. basis for science and discovery. Yeah, it's almost like you're sticking your hands, your fingers and ears and going, la, 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 la. I'm not hearing you. I don't want to hear that question. So Christians become a little bit too lazy to ask questions or to dig for answers, or they can even be pressured by others in the, quote, Christian community to not cross those red lines, those those lines of forbidden questions, you know, yeah, like the distant starlight. You know, speaking of forbidden questions, what are you doing for Valentine's Day this, this year? You know, Mark, uh, I'd, so, I'd Christina tell you, doesn't listen to Internet Radio, does she? So you'd be safe. Yeah, we're to, safe here. Okay, uh, good. Yeah, it, probably, I think we're going to go uh, to uh, Heber's Hatchets and throw some hatchets at the to wall. what? Heber's Hatchets here he, in town. It's, a, it's an he, axe-throwing place. You axe, can, axe? It's really super wow. cool. Yeah. Why have I not heard about that? I don't know. You should, <laughs> you should bring Jen over. It's be a great time. You th- what could possibly go wrong? And, yeah. <laughs> so. Right. Well, you, I'm really though. You, you, are you, are you ready? Are you prepared? Yeah, yeah I, uh, I think I think I'm ready. Hebrews hatchets all the way. Really? Yeah. Well, I, nothing says I love you like throwing an axe. Like throwing an axe at yeah. a. Yeah. Why, why bury it when you can throw it? <laughs> <laughs> Since it's inner man radio, you know. Oh. I, probably a good 50% or so of our listeners are men, you think? they could probably use some constructive suggestions Ooh, oh, when it comes to, to Valentine's Day. I, mm. I've taken the liberty of preparing a list of, of possible suggestions. I might have to change my plans after you, hearing this, you, Mark. You I, might I have, have to. no idea what you're about to say. So. Right. so let's skip this year. Let's skip the flowers. Let, let's leave okay. the chocolates at home. Nobody, nobody really wants those anyway. No. But how about this? How about a closet organizer? Uh, that's a great 
great Isn't that a great idea? idea? That's a but great idea. This, but is it for you this? or for her? Well, that's the beauty. So this closet organizer resembles kind of a shoebox on one side and a wall on the other side to keep the sides of the closet yeah. separate and immovable so oh. that one side of the closet guys you know which side yeah, I'm talking that's about here, right. doesn't that's creep right. over that's onto right. your a closet yeah. organizer yes. I think that oh. has some real some real promise in it nothing says I love you like a closet organizer. like stay out of my side of the yeah. closet so maybe maybe she's a little more adventurous fellas uh -huh. maybe right <laughs> Maybe maybe closet organizers not quite gonna flip the switch. Oh, who can who can imagine that? Well, this will flip the switch. Uh -huh. How about a light bar for the suburban? How about that? A light bar for the suburban. You know That's awesome. The kind of LED light bar that I know you drive exactly the kind you're talking you about. Can't, they can't see any. They're blinded. That's that's the kind of light bar that says I think about you yeah. even when it's dark. Does it come with a six-inch lift kit? It should. No. <laughs> it should. Right. Yeah. It, those are goosebumps. Ooh. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. What about this? What about this? It's practical, uh -huh. but it still says I love you. A vacuum that is self-propelled. The robotic vacuum. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You're reducing uh, household workload. I was gonna say her workload, Absolutely. but that would be kind of sexist to say her <laughs> work. It would be her. Yeah, but she, would, she knows it's hers. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's not it's not bad for me to say it. But if you got one of those little robotic jobbies that just yeah. zip around the house, yeah, I mean, think how much time that would save your wife. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and fellas. think about how much cleaner the house would be because oh. it would actually get vacuumed <laughs> once every six months. Right. Did I just say that out loud, fellas? This, these are. These are home run oh, gift that's ideas. That's great, Mark. That, you I are. Man, I know. Let the, let the romantic music roll in. Jennifer, you are a lucky girl. <laughs> uh, by the way, Christina, everything I just said on this, uh, this <laughs> time, I didn't mean any of it. I love you. Oh, chicken. <laughs> the same problem, though, that bad faith has. Oh, wait. We're, we're not talking about Valentine's Day anymore? No, no. We, we better get back to business. <clears throat> the same problem that junk faith has is the problem that junk science has, too. Mm -hmm. Is they, tend, they try to limit the scope of investigation to only the questions that they want to answer. Distant Starlight's an excellent case in point. If somebody raises that objection from the... From the secular standpoint, they say, well, how do you answer that? Well, I usually ask them the same question in reverse. I say, well, how do you answer that? You said the whole that the Earth from the Big Bang on is 4.5 billion years old. But if the universe is 50 billion years in diameter or in, uh, in radius, how do, how do we receive distant starlight that's further back than the Big Bang? So they have some, they have some theories about how that's possible, an expanding universe theory. Uh, they also, you know, we're still really trying to come to grips with how Einstein's theory of, of time and, and uh, you know, works in those types of distances. That's more than my educational background will take me. <clears throat> but they don't have any trouble using those models when it comes to explaining a difference of 45 billion years. Why would they have a trouble using those models when, de when describing a, a difference for 48 billion years, 40 49 billion years. Sure. The, the difference is 
at that point, the difference is, is minuscule. Yeah. But we're limiting the questions only to those that we think will get us to the answer that we're looking for. Right. So while peer pressure and laziness in the Christian world could result in kind of that wishy-washy, feelings-driven, illogical mindset, yeah. junk science kind of does the same thing by using that circular reasoning. So if a, if a scientist is asking the question about our origins, he's not allowed to, by current science, to take anything but a natural causation position. So for instance, a scientist going back and questioning origins uh, would ask maybe, how did all matter come into being? Everything in the scientific world from this worldview has to be explained by natural processes. How? Natural processes. But where did it come from? From natural processes. But the natural processes don't explain how everything could come from nothing. Well, that's because they're a result of their previous cause. I don't get it. How, yeah, but how, see how that's resulted in their present effects? Yeah, it doesn't make any it sense It doesn't make any sense. It's a blank no, stare from here at crickets. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense because uh -huh. when you get back to that point to where uh, everything coming from nothing, there is no natural cause to explain that. There can't. There cannot be. But the current state of science says that you can only consider natural causes. You can't consider anything outside of natural causes to explain anything. So if we were going to ask the question, well, how old is this fossil yeah, according well, to that According to that system, well, it comes from the early Cambrian rock strata. How old is the early Cambrian rock strata? Oh, well, the uh, International Commission of Stratigraphy says that the uh, that strata that is 500, 450 to five hundred million years uh, <laughs> million years old. Mister Stratigraphy. Yes. How do they know that that's five hundred million years old? Oh, because of index fossils like this one that we found that are five hundred million years old that date date that strata. So you're using the fossil to date the strata, or the strata to date the fossil? Oh yes. There's a lot of dating going on here. Right. This is like the dating game. No. It it is a game. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. It says you can see the circular reasoning. There. Yeah. There's a, a mounting body of evidence that carbon dating isn't consistent with itself. Uh, and that the strata that were dated as being millions of years old just aren't. Just like fake faith, this is junk science. It begins with a preconceived outcome and it argues that outcome to prove the point. And then pat themselves on the back in both cases that they have that they have reasoned logically their arguments. Yeah. So fake faith and junk science are really two sides of the same coin. They both try to use the premise to prove that their premise is true. And God exists because the Bible says so. Right. And that fossil is hundreds of millions of years old because the strata it's in is hundreds of millions of years old. It's so strange that when we compare these two viewpoints, they're actually coming from the same perspective, just on different sides of the field. That's right. Uh, and this has affected millions of people's views on, on God. Junk science and fake faith, the lack of reason on both sides, has really driven uh, the conversation. But th Mark, you said a, there's a third. There is a, there's a third powerful element at work here that has possibly uh, affected the conversation even more uh, than, uh, than these two things. And really, we like to call this the referee. So the ref is going to have to make the call. He's going to decide what is true and what is not, what can be talked about and what can't. The referee is going to determine the rules of engagement. Yeah, think of basketball. It doesn't matter if you were actually fouled or not when you went in for that layup, what matters is whether or not the referee says you were fouled. And if he made the shot after I fouled him, that that matters. Yeah, sometimes the refs will call a game really close. You know, every little ticky-tack Mickey Mouse foul gets called, but other times they just kind of, you know, let them play and you can mug the guy on the way to the basket if uh, if nobody's paying close attention. Yeah, so if they if somebody does that, they mug you while you're going in for a layup. <laughs> was it a foul? Well, yes, but if they not hit according me, it was. <laughs> 
not according to the official record. For the purpose of our conversation, the referee is both the court of public opinion and, quite literally, the court itself. So we may not realize it, but there are a few high-profile court cases over the years that really have done a lot to shape millions of people's opinions about the existence of God by shaping the rules by which the conversation, by which the game can be played. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's list a few of those. The ruling on the field is the teaching of evolution cannot be denied. Evolution team retains possession permanently. In 1968, in Epperson versus Arkansas, a landmark case, the court held that the teaching of evolution could not be denied and the camel's nose was officially under the tent. Fact interference, the evidence presented too closely resembles a creation account. Intelligent design team not allowed on the field for future plays. Repeat, first down. In 1982, in McLean versus Arkansas Board of Education, the court held that a balanced coverage of both evolution and creation denied the First Amendment establishment cause since, according to their words, creation science or intelligent design was too similar to the Genesis account. They defined science in that court case as having five specific elements. It must be guided by natural law, explanatory reference uh, by reference to natural law, it has to be testable against the empirical world. Its conclusions must be tentative, and the science must be falsifiable. Two things pop up immediately. Number one, evolution doesn't meet any of these criteria. And secondly, they never ask the most important question, which is, which one was true? Illegal information presented. Evolutionary theory cannot be presented as a theory with opposing views. Automatic first down. In 1997, in the case Freeler versus Hangipahoa, Parish Board of Education, the U.S. District Court for Eastern District of Louisiana rejected a policy requiring teachers to read aloud a disclaimer whenever they taught about evolution, ostensibly to promote critical thinking. Because we all know that critical thinking means you cannot talk about the other side or, or admit that one of them might not be true. After further review, the ruling on the field stands. Evolutionary theories problems cannot be discussed in the classroom. Loss of possession to the intelligent design team and automatic evolutionary first down. That was what they decided in a 2000 case in Rodney LeVake versus Independent School District 656 Minnesota State District Court Judge Bernard E. Boreen dismissed the case of not allowed to teach problems along with the theory of evolution. Unsportsmanlike conduct, denigrating or denying the theory of evolution in any way is not allowed. Automatic evolutionary touchdown and perpetual first downs. That's a terrible call. In January 2005, in Selman uh, versus Cobb County School District, U.S. District Court Clarence Cooper ruled that an evolution warning label required in Cobb County textbooks violated the establishment cause of the First Amendment. Through settlement, the school district agreed not to disclaim or even denigrate evolution, either orally or in written form. Now, even speech is being controlled. Penalty. Intelligent design is not a real football team and cannot be allowed on the field. They will automatically forfeit this in all future games. That was an awful call in 2005, Kitzmiller versus Dover Area School District ruled teaching intelligent design in public school biology classes violates the establishment clause of the First Amendment to the Constitution of the U.S. Because intelligent design is not science, said the court, and cannot uncouple itself from its creationist and thus religious antecedents. 
In reference to whether intelligent design is science, Judge Jones wrote, intelligent design is not science and cannot be adjudged a valid, accepted scientific theory as it has failed to publish in peer-reviewed journals, engage in research and testing, and gain acceptance in the scientific community. Come on! That's a lot of information there, but the, the point of this is, is that this conversation has been shaped, directed, and limited by yeah. those referees, really, in the court uh, and in the court of public opinion that would say, uh, intelligence designer, anything that would question uh, evolution, is not allowed in the conversation. That's right. They are politically protected belief system and speech. So science, as defined by secular materialism, science in, from that perspective is protected politically in school districts. That's the only thing that can be taught. Other viewpoints, other kind, you know, and particularly anything that looks like Genesis, regardless of whether it's true, regardless of whether there's evidence, that evidence... Not even, it's not just that the evidence is going to be, to be combated, it's the evidence will not be allowed. Here's how this has shaped people's opinions. So you have, A, if we're going to tie all these things together here, you've got uh, folks claiming Christianity who believe in God because the Bible says so, or it's because of a feeling, and they haven't questioned it. Right. You've got yeah, the scientific community who says that there are certain things you can't ask of evolution or about our, our beginnings because, because you can only use natural law to explain things. And then you've got the court system that's acting as the referee guiding the conversation along. And so really this has shaped what most people think about God and Christianity in general. The lack of yeah. questioning on the scientific side, the lack of questioning on the Christian side, and a court that really enables both. The problem is the court has forced both of those two opinions to in, in combat against one another, and they shouldn't be mutually exclusive. The court has forced there to be a decision between either what, you know, what is seen to be science and what is seen to be faith instead of trying to bring those two things together and saying, hey, let's look at all the information, whether it leads to an intelligent designer or whether it leads to distant starlight or whether to bring all of that in and let's find a system that works. Let's find what's true rather than what is politically acceptable. That's the main thing. It's not trying to, hey, let's throw everything in the melting pot and let's all get along. That's right. not what we're saying. No. But what we're saying is, let's ask the question, what's true? That's what, that's exactly what science is supposed to do, and that's what faith is supposed to do. But that's not where we're at in society today, is it? No, it isn't. Sadly, most of society has bought into that idea, and neither side is more to blame, in my opinion, than the other. Science claims to have an exclusive monopoly on truth, and religion claims to have an exclusive monopoly on faith, and neither of them are interested, in many cases, in having a conversation about what they believe to be true that, that crosses those barriers. That's a very dangerous position for both camps. So science without God quickly runs amok, but God, without any objective verification in the natural world, gets in just as much trouble. They really need each other, and one guy who understood this was C.S. Lewis. He said in his book, Miracles, he said, men became scientific because they expected law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in a legislator, that is a lawgiver. In most modern scientists, and Lewis is writing in the 1940s, most modern scientists, he said, this belief has died. It will be interesting to see how long their confidence in uniformity survives it. 
Two significant developments have already appeared. The hypothesis of a lawless subnature and the surrender of the claim that science is true. Lewis postulated we may be living clearer, nearer than we suppose to the end of the scientific age. Okay, Mark, can you uh, can you translate that into normal speak for us? Yeah, he, Lewis Lewis was so insightful. He said that science is really the child of faith. It was the it was religion that really gave birth to science because religion people vested the belief in a lawgiver. A, a legislator that gave laws to the natural world, like gravity, all of those things, all of those things were attributed to a lawgiver. But because they believed that, then they believed that the laws that governed the world would be rational because the lawgiver was rational. I see. And if those laws are rational, then the world can be discovered. We can figure out rational law. We can figure out how things work together. And science is the child of that belief system. And Lewis is, is supposing that if that belief system, if science is, is uh, excuse me, if science is removed from that belief system, then it loses its connection with rationality, which he said, we may be living closer or nearer than we suppose to the end of the scientific age, which he saw in his day as, uh, you know, the surrender of the claim that science is true, and they saw as the, uh, you know, the development of a lawless subnature, which has, uh, was quantum mechanics in its beginning stages. So Lewis said they both have to have each other. In order for a scientist to be, to be, uh, to be grounded, he's got to have religion. Science without religion runs off, runs amok. But religion without science does the same thing. If either of them is going to make the claim to have what is true and to believe what is true, then they have to accept information on both sides and they have to deal with all of that. They can't artificially limit the scope of their inquiry to only the things with which they already agree. Well, someone would hear what you just said coming from the Christian angle, and they'd say, whoa, 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 wait, you just told me that I can't have faith in the Bible, and I can't, that my faith system is going to be somehow flawed if it doesn't square with science. Is that what you just said? Or, or someone else might say, well, wait a minute, you're saying that before the, quote, scientific age came about, where there really wasn't, quote, science, okay, so for before the Enlightenment and all that, did people who have faith in the Word was that not legitimate because there was no, quote, science backing it up? Is that what you're trying to say here? Well, if we're going to make the claim from a religious standpoint that what we have believed is true, then it must be true universally. You know, it, it must be true. If we're going to claim the Bible is true, then we're going to have to be able to accept information that's gleaned from sources outside the Bible, and we're going to have to compare them with the biblical narrative and figure out, do these work together or not? If we cannot do that, then we have to abandon one or the other or both. Is, is this information accurate or that information inaccurate? Which one is true? Because if the Bible is true, if this is truth, then we have to be able to confirm that to some degree through the observable world. If we can't do that, then there's no moorings for faith. You can believe whatever you want to believe, like Kat Kerr, because you've set the rational mind aside. And that's a very dangerous place for religion to be. But science can be guilty of the same thing. If science completely discounts any idea, or the possibility even, that there is a creator, that there is an, 
that there is an intelligent designer, then it's forced to a completely irrational position where everything just popped out of nothing. Right. And it just instantly right. jumped into existence with no explanation, no natural causes. And they've, they have sacrificed their very own principles on the altar of necessity in order to leave religion behind. Neither of those things without the other is a complete system. They both require the other to balance them and to keep them as a, a suitable, rational system. And we'll, and we'll see, see you, you next time, time on Inner Man Radio. Radio. This is Inner Man Radio. Honest questions, biblical answers, and proof that anyone with a mic can have their own podcast. <laughs>